Malachi, as I said, is the last prophet in the Old Testament. Malachi, his name means messenger. That's him. That's it makes sense because Malachi is the messenger of the Lord. Now, I hope some of you, perhaps, uh, if you have signed up for, if you asked to be on our, our BP Blast, we tell you ahead of time, about Thursday, we tell you what's coming in the Sunday message. And you can actually read ahead. You can prep for that. I'll tell you in advance. Next week, after Malachi in your Bibles comes... Matthew, that's right. So some of you got that. Some of you have looked from Old Testament to New. Matthew comes next, but Malachi is the last Old Testament prophet. And it's a very confrontational book. Now, you could follow along with what I say. I'm not going to read all the way through the book of Matthew, but I'm going to be taking... Matthew does, Matthew's in an argument. Now, other prophets have been in an argument with God. Uh, I'm sorry, Matthew. Malachi is having an argument with God's people. Actually, through Malachi, the messenger, God has a dispute in argument. And you're going to ha- find over and over, God says something that people say, wait a minute, where do we say? And then God tells them. And God puts his finger on their chest. And it may be that you hear something that sounds a little close this morning. You know what? I hope so. I hope so. Because if Malachi is God's messenger, Malachi is not only God's messenger to God's people then, Malachi is God's messenger to God's people today. And we need to hear something. And if we will hear his word, then also there is a response from Malachi that we can hear and that we can rest in as well. So then, we hear from the prophet Malachi. Now, as a prophet, I would love to talk with you about the comfort and the encouragement of the Lord's coming. That's what the prophets love to talk about. And you think about prophets and you think about, oh, what is he going to tell us about what's coming? Well, I can tell you what's coming. The Lord is coming. But because the Lord is coming, that's why I need to talk to you about something else. Because the Lord is coming, but there are some things that the Lord has against you. There are some things that the Lord has against you that you do not want between Him and you when He comes. And you may think to yourself, well, what could it be that, that, that God would have against me? What would it be? That, what could it be that's between me and God? Well, first among them, first among them is this. The Lord says to you, the Lord, the God of Israel says, you have dismissed my love for you. You have dismissed it. I have loved you, and yet you say to me, God, how have you loved us? You look at your circumstances and you say, God, what have you done for us lately? And God says, what do you mean, how have I loved you? I have chosen you. I, have, I divinely chose you to take and to pour out my grace and my mercy upon. Was it anything in you that caused me to do that? Was, was Jacob any better than Esau? And yet Jacob was the one that I chose to love. Are you any better than others? And yet I chose to put my love upon you. And you have experienced, you have received the benefit of my protection and my provision, even at times when you didn't even know I was there. 
and yet I have carried you. I have upheld you. You will see in the future the difference that I have made among you and will make when I come and I judge the world, and yet you are spared, you are rescued. You will see the fullness of the different. And yet now, a son honors his father. A a, a servant knows how to honor his master, and yet you do not honor me. In fact, rather than honoring me, you despise me. But you would say, Lord, how have we despised you? You despise me when you bring leftovers as the offerings of yourself into my temple. You don't bring to me the best of your labors. No, you bring to me that little scrap of time of what you have left. You bring animals for sacrifice. Sure, we come and we worship and we sacrifice. You bring animals that are blind and lame. Animals to to sacrifice to me that you, you would never bring to pay your taxes to your own governor. Oh, but you bring them to me instead. You see, you, 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 you say, well, we give of our time. We, we serve the Lord. Yes, you, you give of your time if there happens to be any time left in your schedule. You bring those animals to sacrifice and they're not fitting. You, you go to Macy's to shop for your friends and the people that you want to impress. But that which you give me, you could just as well give to Goodwill. You come to the temple when it suits you. You come to the temple when it suits you, and then as I listen in, I hear you say, I really didn't get anything out of worship today. Since when, my people, was your coming to worship ever supposed to be for you? I am the Lord of hosts. I will be worshipped among all the nations. Not just in this place. There are times I, I wish the facade would end. This is how you treat God, and yet, and yet you, you expect that, that, that the God of heaven is going to hear your prayers and bring blessing upon you. The, the way you treat God is as if God is some feeble old relative that, well, you need to come and visit now and again. You should go because, after all, you want to stay on his good side. I mean, he, God might leave you something in his will. But the will of the Lord is this. The will of the Lord is that you would worship him in spirit and in truth. The will of the Lord is that you would worship Him with your heart's devotion, that you would give honor to His name. After all, have we not all one Father? Do we not all have one God who created us? And yet we are unfaithful. We are unfaithful to God. We are unfaithful to one another. We disregard the covenant of God at the most basic levels. God's people have been unfaithful to their God, flirting with the so-called gods of the nations. And so it is no surprise then, if they're unfaithful to God and His covenant with them, it's no surprise then that we are also unfaithful one to another. That we are unfaithful to the most important of covenants that we have made even with one another. You say, well, how are we so unfaithful? How are we unfaithful one to another? You, 
You are unfaithful to the covenant you have made with your own wives. You, you cry out to God. You, you, you cover His altar with tears. You say, God, why are you not near? Why do you seem so far off? Why does God not hear us, you say? Because the Lord is a witness between you and the covenant which you have made with the wife of your youth. When you vowed, you took a solemn vow before men and also God that you would be faithful to this one forever. You said, till death do we part. And yet along the way, you don't remember that anymore. Along the way, you have been. Why, why is it that God takes us so seriously? Why is it that I, the Lord, have said, I hate divorce? Is it not? Did I not give you this covenant that you would raise up godly children, that your children would say in the midst, would, they would see in the midst of your marriage, they would see something about my faithfulness and my covenant. They would see lived out there among their own parents. There's a faithfulness to a promise that can be relied upon. And they would know something in your faithfulness. They would know something about my faithfulness in my promise and my covenant to my people. And yet so easily you walk away from your own covenant. I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. Woe to the one who willingly, stubbornly presumes on my grace and willfully chooses to do what God hates. You cannot practice unfaithfulness and continue to know and understand my ways. You cannot continue to know me and yet walk in the ways that are contrary to me. I will remove my understanding from you. The one who willfully choose to, to walk contrary to my ways will bury his own understanding by his godlessness. As you live out faithfulness to one another, there's where you will know my faithfulness to you. But you wonder among yourselves, should I really bother? Does it really matter? You doubt God's presence, and so you weary God's with your words. And then you say, well, come on. How do I weary God? How do we weary God? Can anybody wear out God? How can that be? You weary God when you say this, when you say it doesn't matter if you do evil or if you do good. God still loves you. It doesn't really matter what you do. God still loves you. Or maybe you say it something like this. Where is the God who requires justice and righteousness? God's busy elsewhere. In a sense, we're on our own here. God is not near. God's not paying attention. Go ahead. He won't notice. That's what we say. But God has sent me as a messenger to tell you that God is near. That God is coming. You will see that God is near. You will see that God does care. You will see that I made you righteous so that you would live out my righteousness. Behold, I send my messenger. The Lord whom you think you seek will suddenly appear in his temple. And he did. The Lord suddenly appeared at His temple, and oh, if they had only known the day of His, dis, of, of his appearing. And then, 
And then he himself said, when the Son of Man comes, and when the Son of Man comes again, will he find righteousness upon the earth? Will he find righteousness even among his own people? Or will he not? What will the Son of Man come? What will the messenger of the Lord's eternal covenant find when he comes? I tell you what he will be. He will come as a refiner's fire. And as a refiner is finer, he will refine us. He is the one who can purify us. He is the one that can enable us that we can walk with him in spirit and in truth, that we can worship him. And when he comes, he will be a swift witness against unrighteousness. He will be a swift witness against all kinds of unrighteousness. And maybe not the ones that you might pick, but he will be a witness against all kinds of unrighteousness, like witchcraft. He will be against adulterers and liars. He will be against those who, who cheat workers of their wages. He will be against those who oppress the widows. He will be against those who turn aside the homeless or don't pay any attention to them. He will be against the one who says, Do not fear me. These are the ones he will be against, says the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven and earth. You will see that God is near. You will see that God does care, for I, the Lord, do not change. And therefore, therefore, O Israel, therefore, O Jacob, you are not consumed. So then draw near to me. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. But you say, well, how can we draw near to you then? Would you like a specific way? One way that you can draw near to me? I'll warn you. It's going to cost you. One of the ways the Lord says to draw near to me is to stop discounting God's offering. Stop robbing God of what is already and always has been His. Robbing God. But you say, Lord, how have we robbed God? You have robbed me in your tithes and your offerings. When you have withheld, when you have held back for yourselves for all kinds of seemingly good reasons, you have held back that which should have been, could have been given to me. You are pitiful instead of fruitful because you are robbing me, you, my own people. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse. Just see, put me to the test and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven that blessings might fall down upon you. Israel, in their history, in the times when they tested me, in the times when they proved me, in the times when they walked in my ways, in the times when they, when they walked in my covenant, they experienced my fruitfulness in the land with abundant blessing. But in the midst of that, there were times when they went looking other places. They looked other places for that blessing. They looked other places for fruit, fruitfulness. They, they determined to find it on their own and found emptiness and hunger and despair and loneliness and exile instead. That principle of fruitfulness still applies. That I will open up the windows of heaven. I will pour out blessing. I will make my people fruitful. If you determine that you will, you will give instead of take, 
that you will give yourselves to me, then I will cause you to be fruitful. I'll pour out my spirit upon you, and you will be fruitful to the people around you. Others around you, you will see that you, are, you, you have the joy of the Lord in yourself, and that joy flows out of you to them. You will be a blessing. You will not only know my blessing, you will be a blessing to the people around you as you learn to walk in my way of giving instead of receiving, of serving rather than being served. You cannot buy that blessing. But as you learn to give yourself away, you will, the people all around you will see my blessing upon you. You see, you do not give. You do not give out of what you have to the Lord because you have not given yourself to the Lord. You do not give what you have to the Lord because you have not given yourself to the Lord. You don't believe God is really there for you. It may seem to you that these words from God have been hard against you, but the Lord says instead, your words, your words of lack of trust, your words of lack of confidence have been hard against Him. Can it be that my words are hard against God? Can it be that my words have a hard edge against God? Your words disrespect God. You disrespect His calling when you speak against Him and you say... Malachi, how have we spoken against God? How how would we dare do that? You speak against God when you have said, what's the use? Serving God doesn't seem to make any difference. Oh, you said it quietly. Oh, you said it just among your own circle. But there are times and there are occasions when you looked at somebody else and you said, serving God doesn't seem to make any difference. You looked at the wicked and you saw them seeming to prosper and you said, see, they do better than I and they don't walk with God. What difference does it make? What benefit does it bring me? Why should I serve the Lord? And your words cut against Him. You have said at times when things were hard, what's the use? It isn't really worth it. It doesn't matter if I do what God says or not. Are these the words of God's people against God? Certainly not openly. But are these words that are true about us as God's people, perhaps inwardly? Perhaps the words that echo around within our mind. Is it true that the words that rattle around inside my head, those are the words that God hears? And if that's true, what is it that God hears? And how do we change that script? How do we change that script to a script that that rather than would be confronted by God is a a script that maybe brings God joy instead? As I listen to Malachi, the real issue in all of these things is not the laundry list of the things that God could bring against us. As you read Malachi, you find them. And they are true in various levels for us. We're going to, we're going to rehearse that list again. But, but it's not a matter of certain sins that matter more than others to God. The real issue, in fact, is not divorce or how you give or how you serve or, serve or whether you live like the world. The real issue that drives all of these is, is our own faith in the presence and in the character of God. That's what matters. 
That's what makes the difference. What genuinely, really, inside my head, in the quietness of that voice that other people don't hear, what do I really believe and tell myself about the character and the nearness and the presence of God? The real issue is that of our faith is that God is near. That the choices that I make for Him do matter. They, they matter in consequence of fruitfulness and loss for myself and for others. All the cores, all those sins confronted by Malachi, they share that one core, a lack of faith in God. And because I lack faith in God, I turn somewhere else for my fulfillment. That somewhere else for my fulfillment might be, might be violating God's covenant might be clearly violating God's will. It might be just holding back and guarding more for myself what I think I need because I do not believe that I can rely on God to provide for my needs, to meet my needs. To know God is to fear God and to be devoted to God and to worship Him, not merely in rituals, but in real life. Not just on Sunday in our attendance, but on Monday morning in our practice, not just in this house, but in your house. That's where worship really happens or doesn't, as Malachi would so boldly point out. Now, how does Malachi's rant end? Malachi goes on quite a rant there. I probably didn't do it justice, but, but how does that rant end? Where does it wrap up? Does it leave hanging there that this, this heavy condemnation upon the people? Well, if you have the book of Malachi open, you would, you would find us on about uh, page 802 in your pew Bible. Uh, you have various other Bibles out there. I couldn't tell you the page number. But if you get to the book of Matthew in the New Testament, just go one book back, and there you are, a couple pages of Malachi. And in Malachi chapter 3, there's a hinge verse. In Malachi chapter 3, there's a, there's, we find that, that the way Malachi's rant ends ends actually depends upon us. There is, a, there is a turning, but it's a conditioned turning. So the end of this thing actually depends on my response to Malachi, my response to the Lord's message, my response to the Lord through his messenger. That's what determines the end of this thing. There's a hinge verse in chapter 3, verses 16 to 18, especially 316. And that's actually why I put that particular verse on the clock there on your, on your bulletin cover. In the Malachi drive-by, the, the verse 316 becomes important. If it reminds you of another verse, that's a good thing too. But what does it say? Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. After Malachi says these things, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. Then the Lord paid attention to them. He heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him. Isn't that a neat way to put that? You just heard about a book of remembrance. The king, uh, the, I think his name was Artaxerxes, he didn't remember, but he was reading the book of remembrance, and he saw there in the book of Esther, he saw that story about this man named Mordecai who had done something for him, and he remembered it, and he rewarded it. And he honored him. That idea of a book of remembrance, God doesn't need a book. Hebrews chapter 6 says, God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love. Labor of love, that's worship. As you have served the saints and still do. God doesn't forget. But he uses this picture. A, a, a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord 
and esteemed his name. God has had some harsh things to say, but what does he say to those who hear him and fear him? Verse 17, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day that I take up my treasured possession, and I will have compassion upon them. I will forgive them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then God says, everyone who sees will, make, will see that I make a distinction between the one who served. You, th- you said maybe it doesn't matter. It doesn't seem like it matters. It will be obvious. God will make a distinction between the one who serves me and walks with me and the one who does not. As you continue reading into chapter 4, those promises continue. God says, I will judge the arrogant and the evil, but those who fear my name, God says the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. There's a restoration and healing there. God himself will heal you and vindicate you. God will cause you to triumph over the evil of this age. In the midst of this evil age, he says, I will send my messenger. And this messenger he's talking about is John the Baptist. This John the Baptist who would point to Jesus, who would point the way to Messiah, who would say, look, there he is. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the messenger that he's going to send. I will send my messenger, one like Elijah the prophet. And even in the end of time, the book of Revelation shows us again a prophet. If he's not Elijah, he's just like Elijah. Just like Jesus said, John the Baptist was like Elijah. And that prophet is again, what is he doing? He's turning the hearts. Is there something about Malachi's message that is not meant to crush you? It is meant to awaken us. It is meant to provoke us, to, to poke here and there, and when, he, and, we, and when we find something that hurts, it's because there's something there that needs to be dealt with. It needs to be uncovered, because you don't want anything between. You don't want there to be anything that would cause you to shrink back at sh- in shame. It is coming because the Lord is coming. That's Malachi's strongest message. The Lord is coming, and the day-to-day stuff might tell us otherwise, but he is coming. In the midst of this evil age, I will send my message who will point you to Jesus so that you can look forward to the great and awesome day of his coming. Hearing Malachi, there are things there that I would say it caused me to shrink back. You see, as I go through that list again, I have to say, I have dismissed God's love. I have failed to trust his acceptance, and so I try to earn my own approval and value. I have despised God's worth, giving him less than my best in time and devotion and service. I serve myself instead of others. I serve myself instead of God. I have disregarded God's covenant I've made marriage at times about what I wanted from it instead of showing in marriage what sacrificial love is all about. I have doubted God's presence by thinking and living like God isn't near, that God really doesn't care. I have discounted God's offering. I have kept for myself what I could have devoted to Him. I've disrespected God's calling by choosing my priorities, by what I wanted to do over what God wanted me to do. You know, that list. I'd like us to pause here. I'd like us to put that list back. There it is. I was wanting that list back on the screen. I would like us to use that as a confession together. Could we do that? I would like us together to to go down that list and say, I have, 
I have. Now, maybe there's one that you say, no, no, not me. Well, you can, you can be quiet there. All right, but somebody sitting next to you might know better. Just saying. Somebody who hears you might know better. Just saying. I have dismissed God's love. I have despised God's worth. I have disregarded God's covenant. I have doubted God's presence. I have discounted God's offering. I have disrespected God's calling. Near the end of Malachi, hear the end of Malachi, it's, it's not too late. At the very end of the Old Testament, and yet it's not too late. The very end of the Old Testament announcing the Lord is coming. It's not too late. In fact, our salvation is at hand. And that, that hinge verse, coming out of those confrontations, those things that we would confess as well, the hinge verse says, you will be my treasured possession. You will be spared from judgment. You will be restored and healed. You will triumph over the evil of this age. You will be renewed in Jesus. Is that true? Do you think that's true? Will that be? I want to I remind you this morning, folks, that's already been true. That has already begun. We haven't entered into the fullness of it yet, but it's already started. Think with me. Think ahead in the New Testament a little bit. You know, First Peter says in his first letter that you are his treasured possession. Same phrase out of Malachi. Romans chapter 5 tells us that we have been spared from God's judgment. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God, not condemnation. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You will experience the fullness of healing which you already taste the first fruits of and you already in the futility of this mortality you hunger for it and yet it will be true. Doesn't 1 Corinthians 15 say this mortality shall put on immortality? This corruptible shall put on incorruption and then will be brought about the saying that is written, death itself is swallowed up in victory. You are already overcoming 